0: From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. The economic and political crisis in Venezuela is straining the entire Latin American healthcare system with shortages of food and medicine and disease outbreaks spilling over the borders. Here to talk about what's going on and to share some of their recent research are Upstate Assistant Professor Anna Stewart Ibarra and fourth year medical student Dan Farrell. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air to both of you. Thanks.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: So you have a paper published in a journal called Emerging Infectious Diseases, published by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, that focuses on the resurgence of malaria at the border of Ecuador and Peru. So tell us about that.
1: We were inspired to write this paper um, based on our experience in Ecuador this summer as we noticed that several cases of malaria were popping up, um, especially in Venezuelan migrants. Um, and the impetus for this was because this region in Ecuador near the border between the southern and coastal border between Peru and Ecuador uh, previously mal- eliminated malaria in 2011 um, through a combination of local efforts with vector control, surveillance that Dr. Stuart Bar was involved in. Uh, so with this rise in cases, we obviously wanted to highlight the importance of this, especially being an area on the border with many people moving through going south to Peru.
0: Does that say that Venezuela is not as good at controlling malaria as Ecuador had been? Or what does that say?
1: Yeah, so well, Venezuela has seen a, a very dramatic rise in malaria in mm-hmm. recent years. Mm-hmm. It's been up like 365% from 2000 to 2015. And kind of what we're seeing is like a spillover effect. It, you know, Most people are going to Colombia first. They have a large increase in malaria cases as well. And we're seeing them coming through Ecuador as well. So it's kind of a rippling effect through the entire continent, which is sort of scary to see.
0: Let's do a little review, though. What What is malaria? So
2: malaria is a parasite that's transmitted by certain species of mosquitoes, uh, Anopheles mosquitoes. And so the mosquito has the parasite It then bites someone who may be healthy, passes the parasite to that person. The parasite then has to replicate inside the person, and then that person is infectious. So another mosquito can come and bite them and pass it to another person. And, and it can be a fatal disease? In Malaria some can or? be a fatal disease, yeah, and is especially worrisome for pregnant women. But it can also be treated. And so... Uh, The two different kinds of malaria that are in this part of the world are plasmodium vivax and plasmodium falciparum. Both of these diseases had been present in this part of Ecuador and Peru. They were historically endemic. We had large epidemics of these diseases. But like Dan mentioned, in 2011 and 2012, thanks to a binational collaboration between Ecuador and Peru, they were totally eliminated. And we haven't seen any cases since then, which is why when we started noticing the resurgence in cases in in the migrant refugee population, we were especially concerned. Concerned because we knew that these mosquito vectors were still present and so there was the potential for the disease to come back and uh, unfortunately what we did notice was that in November we we had evidence of now local cases so it's not just in the migrant population it seems like it is spilling over into the local population and in Ecuador and also in northern Peru and we've actually seen what looks like a, a small epidemic that's starting to unfold in
0: northern Peru in local people now. So does this mean that, I mean, when you start seeing cases that are um, local, mm-hmm. does that mean it's not eliminated, it's back? Correct. Correct. Wow. Right. So this is the risk of resurgence in an area
2: where we thought we were close to eliminating and the disease.
1: We're also seeing probably a very small portion of these cases. If right. they're reporting, we had seven confirmed reported cases in Ecuador and mm. 20 confirmed in Peru at the time of publication, but mm. there's probably many more that yeah. are not being reported or people who are asymptomatic.
2: And since then, there have been more cases that have been identified in Peru and Ecuador. And in total, I was, I was told by a colleague who's a malaria expert in Ecuador, there have been about 50 imported cases across all of Ecuador, just the imported cases. So that's not counting now the number of cases that first, first as Dan mentioned, were, are going undetected. And second, the cases that are now spilling over into local populations and that may be asymptomatic and not being picked up by surveillance systems.
0: Do we know why Venezuela, the numbers in, of malaria had gone up? Because this has been happening going back several years, right? It's not a, a recent phenomenon. Are there just more mosquitoes? I mean, what's what's the issue?
1: I would say the issue is the political and socioeconomic crisis in Venezuela, which is a very complicated issue. But mm. there's been a lack of um, mosquito control efforts. There's been a lack of anti-malarial medications, mm-hmm. shortages of food and medicine, extreme inflation, the population can't afford to... Uh, take care of its citizens. Um, so unfortunately, massive, massive Venezuelans are leaving the country for this reason and moving around within the country as well. Um, there's widespread malaria mm-hmm. and other many other diseases as well. Yeah,
2: and actually in the, the case reports, the descriptions of the cases that we worked on with Dan, the people, the, these Venezuelan migrants reported having had multiple infections of malaria previously while they lived in venezuela and having had inadequate access to medication or incomplete treatments
1: One over 16 times all not treated well in venezuela. Wow. This is a common history for these patients Mm -hmm. They knew what it was.
2: And so one of the things we're most worried about also is the potential introduction of Uh, Drug resistant strains of malaria because these are individuals who had had inadequate and incomplete malaria treatment previously That increases the risk that now we would see uh, drug resistant strains And if we have drug resistant strains, then that's a real problem because now we're not able to treat and and stop an epidemic
0: and malaria, is, that's not the only disease that's becoming a problem in that region, right? Are, you, are there other diseases that are becoming?
1: Yeah, dengue, chikungunya, chagas disease, some that come to Those mind. Those are other
0: mosquito-borne,
1: right? Yeah.
2: Other mos- and also, in this most recent trip to Ecuador and speaking with colleagues in the Ministry of Health, it came to light also... Um, the real risk and worry about the resurgence of HIV-AIDS in this region, especially. Uh, And that's a a disease that's not going to be picked up as quickly, right? Like malaria, where you might have obvious febrile symptoms, someone could have HIV-AIDS and not have obvious symptoms immediately. And because a lot of the population, like as Dan said, are mobile, they're moving southward through Colombia, Ecuador, down into southern cone of South America, um, many uh, in many cases, rates of prostitution are going up, especially in the border region, and so this is a real, real concern of ours. And hand in hand goes increasing rates of
0: tuberculosis. This is Upstate's Health Link on air. I'm your host Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Assistant Professor uh, Dr. Anna Stewart Ibarra and fourth-year medical student Dan Farrell uh, about the economic and political crisis in Venezuela and what that's doing to the entire Latin American healthcare system. So Venezuelans who need medical care, they're fleeing to Brazil, Ecuador, Peru. What is that doing to the healthcare system in Brazil, Ecuador, and Peru?
1: Well, we can talk about Ecuador, but I'm sure it's similar in other countries. It puts a strain on these local countries. Um, people are coming. They need health care. They need jobs. They need basic services. And um, mm-hmm. it's difficult for these countries to provide that. And they continue to move on until they can find a place for their mm-hmm able to um, live safely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also mentioned it also is promoting a lot of xenophobia um, in Ecuador, which is also dangerous to consider um, as these Venezuelan migrants are tied to diseases. They're, you know There's a stigma associated with that.
2: Yeah. And there's a lot of sort of awareness raising that certain advocacy groups are having in, in Ecuador and other places to reduce the xenophobia, like Dan mentioned, which is Uh, A a real concern because we need to make sure that all all people, all citizens, regardless of what country, are being cared for in a compassionate way because these are people coming from really difficult situations. But I I will mention that from speaking to my colleagues in the Ecuador Ministry of Health, they have been emphatic in saying that all Venezuelans or all people, regardless of nationality, are receiving full health care access to free medication the same as any citizen in ecuador the same treatment as anybody else from any other country whether from the u.s or venezuela and so they have been really um like i said emphatic passionate about providing healthcare to all people but there as dan said you no know, that has its limits because even ecuador as a country is currently under financial strain this is a year with really limited financial resources and so you know it's at some point it, it's gonna give something's gonna give.
0: Well, what does Ecuador need more of in order to try to fix this? Do they need more medicine? Do they need, I mean, is there, a, is, do you see sort of a way to fix this or help?
2: Well, in particular with this study that we were focusing on with malaria, we really need to strengthen the surveillance system. So since malaria was eliminated in 2011, a lot of the international funding, for example, the Global Fund, um, that used to support the local malaria control and surveillance efforts disappeared, right? So we celebrate as yay, we, we, we fix the malaria problem, and then the money goes away. And we see this again and again in other places around the world, other diseases. And so that's a real problem. So the surveillance systems have been weakened. We need to strengthen the surveillance systems. And also uh, antimalarial medication. I know currently, locally, on hand, there's a very, very limited stock of antimalarial medication And then third, also training the physicians and the microscopists to be able to know and to be aware and to diagnose a case rapidly. So we need training and capacity strengthening. Uh, Many of these doctors haven't seen a malaria case in eight years or maybe never, you know, the the younger doctors, because it's been eliminated locally. And so um, these were some of the initiatives that came out of a, a meeting that we held last week in Ecuador, a binational meeting with representatives from the Ministry of Health of Ecuador and Peru. We also discussed the need to begin to hold regular meetings between both countries. So we're actually able to share information, um, which used to occur when malaria was prevalent, uh, but then hasn't in recent years. And so we need to reactivate that network of of public health leaders so that we can really address this issue because the disease is no, no
0: borders. So what happens if this goes unchecked? You just said diseases know no, no borders. Does malaria just become out of control? And
2: there's a definite risk that malaria could again become established in the population we could start to see again you know regular transmission um outbreaks every few years that's the fear um Mm And that's what it was like up until, you know, before the last decade. Malaria yeah. caused explosive epidemics in this region.
1: And it is out of control in Venezuela. And in Venezuela, like in the 50s, was very successful, almost eradicating it from their entire country. So it's one, it's of, really the one of the first countries first to do that in the yeah. Americas. Um, so it's really interesting how quickly things can change and how, you know, I think we think we're very insulated from these diseases. But, I mean, even here in the U.S., we used to have malaria. So it's, it's really just below our border.
0: Is this something that America needs to uh, be involved in? I mean, would this unchecked, would malaria spread to America as well? Well, certainly it increases the risk for travelers.
2: Americans travel to South America all the time. Um, And I would say this isn't just linked to what's happening in Venezuela. You should take a step back. You know, we've seen that there has been an increase also in the Peruvian Amazon, the Amazon region as a whole has been sort of a hot spot for malaria that we've been sort of unable to elim- a place where it's been really difficult to eliminate and we've seen a resurgence in recent years so some of it is linked to the venezuelan crisis but i think there are other factors going
0: on but overall increases again the risk across the whole region some of the people fleeing from venezuela are are you seeing doctors and nurses That are fleeing Venezuela and are they staying to help? Mm -hmm. I gave a talk in Quito in the
2: capital city in Ecuador last week presenting some of these findings and other work that we've done on climate and and health in Ecuador and in in the audience in the front and center was uh, a gentleman who introduced himself during the question and answer period and he had been head of the Venezuelan Malaria Control Initiative for 30 years and so he was there in Ecuador seeking asylum basically and had a lot of really insightful comments, but he was fairly heartbroken to see
0: what's happening in his country. The research that Upstate's involved in, is that ongoing still um, in Ecuador? Well, we have ongoing studies to
2: monitor uh, febrile infections. So people who come in with a uh, suspected um, mosquito-borne disease, they enter our studies, which have been ongoing since 2013. So we have the potential to uh, detect malaria cases. And also dengue and... Dengue fever, chikungunya, zika. And now we're beginning to actually look at tick-borne diseases. um, And we're finding uh, a large number of of tick-borne diseases that are causing febrile illness. And this is an area where tick-borne diseases have previously been completely undiagnosed. And so it's not on the doctor's radars. It's not part of the differential diagnosis currently. So there's some education that goes along with the study, I'm sure. And needing to increase uh, diagnostic capacity. Because right now there is no local capacity to diagnose tick-borne diseases.
0: Well, thank you both for coming in and talking about this. I uh, I appreciate it. My guests have been Assistant Professor uh, Dr. Anna Stewart-Ibarra and Fourth-Year Medical Student Dan Farrell. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show Health Link on Air.